Hello and welcome to True to the Bible podcast with Hunter Davis. Thanks for joining us for our next lesson in our series over the book of Ephesians. In today's lesson, we're going to be looking at the famous armor of God as Paul begins to discuss how we can put on each of these pieces. In today's study, we're going to look at the first three pieces of armor, what they are, and how we can put them on in our spiritual life today. Well, thanks again for joining us. We hope that you enjoy this lesson. All right, guys. Well, we're in Ephesians, so you can turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, and we're going to continue on. We're almost done with Ephesians, which is crazy, because we've been doing it for like 20-something. Well, we've been doing it forever, basically, it feels like. So we're getting close, though. We're getting close. Maybe three more weeks of Ephesians, and then we'll probably be done. So. After Ephesians, yeah. But we still have like three more weeks of Ephesians, is what I'm saying. So, but Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be in verse 10 through 15 today, and we're going to start one of the most famous passages in the Bible. It's the armor of God. Um, all of you guys have read it. You guys have probably gone over it a hundred times, um, like I have, but there's really good stuff in here. And uh, Paul's final, uh, I don't know what you call it, but the final discourse to the church, I guess, at Ephesus is good, um, summing it up. For us and what we need to be doing and so I'm excited to go through it with you guys uh, but it's Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 hopefully you guys are there I'm going to read five verses and we'll pray and get going it says finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might put on the full armor of God so you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but it's against rulers and it's against powers and against the world forces of this darkness and against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so you'll be able to resist the devil, or sorry, resist the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All right, let's pray. Dear God, we just come before you and thank you for this day uh, that you've given to us. And thank you for all you've done for us, God. Um, Just thank you that you give us the opportunity to put on armor and an opportunity to stand firm um, uh, against the devil and his schemes and our own flesh that wants to go with that in that direction, God. Um, We love you and we pray all this through Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so body armor. Okay, I don't know how much you guys know about body armor in this picture, the one on the left. Uh, is just an old Roman suit that somebody's recreated. But the one on the right, uh, those are body armor plates of today. Okay, and there are several levels of body armor. So, like <coughs> police officers, they wear what they call a level three J something something or another. Uh, but it's a level three body armor, which protects against like nine millimeter rounds and like nine millimeter armor piercing rounds, even and even like small submachine guns. So like small rounds of like fully automatic guns, basically. Uh, So they have armor that will protect against that. Uh, There's actually a level four armor, which is what these plates are. Um, You can actually buy those plates and put them in like your vest or whatever. But a level four body armor actually protects you up to a 30-06. So for those of you that don't know what guns are, 30-06 is a huge rifle. Uh, It was used back in the day um, as like a sniper sometimes and as a military weapon. But a 30-06 is a big round, it's a big old bullet, and the level four armor will actually protect against that. And body armor, it's been used for thousands of years, uh, different kinds of body armor, it's been used 
I mean, for a long time. I was, like, trying to look up, like, how long it's been used. And, like, they say this time, this time, this time. But then it's like, well, these guys had a form of body armor a long time ago. So it's, it's always been used, and it's always been used for protection and defense. Okay, and Paul, in his final notes to the church at Ephesus, he says, hey, we need to put on body armor. Okay, and that's what he says. And so first, in verse 10, he says, finally... Be strong in the Lord in the strength of His might. So, if you guys remember, first three chapters of Ephesians talks about, hey, this is who we are in Christ. This is some theology. And then verse uh, chapter 4, sorry, starts out and he says, hey, you guys need to walk worthy. And he starts in on this practical stuff. In chapter 5, be imitators of God, just as Christ Jesus. So, he gets into all this practical stuff. He tells us all this stuff that we can do and should be doing as a church, as a body, and as believers. And then here he says, finally, be strong in the Lord. So he's going to go on and he's going to tell us how we can do these things, how we can um, not let the sun go down on anger, how we can live the correct relationships, how we can walk worthy, how we can do all this. And all this comes from God. It comes from His strength. And it comes from us putting on the armor of God, which is really important. I think it's really cool. Uh, And sometimes it's easy to say, and it's not really... um, we don't really think about how to do it, how to put on the armor, uh, because it's something that we need to do. And so, verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His mind. Verse 11 says, put on the armor of God that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So this is the why. Okay, why do we do it? We, we are putting on, or we're being strong in the Lord, we're putting on the armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. Okay, and the schemes of the devil, we know what those are. In verse 12, he tells us, says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Because he's getting ready to tell us to put on armor. Okay, and he's going to use the armor of the Romans because that's the time that he was in. But he's going to tell us to put on armor. But he's going to say it's not for the flesh. It's not for flesh and blood. It's not like a war like me and Galen up here fighting with swords. It's not against that. It's against rulers and against powers and against world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces and the wickedness in the heavenly places. So all this, our fight is going to not get against flesh and blood. All this goes back to the very end of verse 11, the schemes of the devil. Okay, so that's really what we're fighting, is the schemes of the devil. And he uses the world. He uses the world culture, the world power, the world influences uh, to fight us. He uses uh, demons and, you know, fallen angels to fight. And so this fight isn't a fight where we're going to get up and we're going to use a real sword and fight. It's a fight where we're going to use the power of God and His Word and truth and righteousness and these things that we're going to look at to stand strong in a fallen world. Because our world is fallen and Satan has control of it in that sense. And so we got to be ready to battle this stuff, uh, these spiritual things. Okay, And then verse 13, we're going to get to the armor in just a second, which is what we're really talking about today. But verse 13, he says, Therefore take up the full armor of God. He says it again, so you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. And then in 14 it says, stand firm, therefore. So we're supposed to stand firm, and we're supposed to put on. Okay, we're supposed to stand firm, and we're supposed to put on. Um, because there is a battle. Okay, there's a battle for all of us. Uh, and we're supposed to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. He's a clever liar. He's a clever liar. He's a clever angel, fallen angel, and um, all of us, we have to put on the armor to be able to stand firm in the strength and in the power of God. God's the one that empowers us okay, through the Holy Spirit to be able to resist the devil, to be able to fight against him, to be able to stand. Okay, We're not going out and attacking the devil. 
Okay, uh, that's not our job. God's already won the victory, the battle, right? He's already won the war. Okay, this isn't meant to, this passage of Scripture is not meant to scare us. Like, hey, watch out. Devil's got, like, God's already won it all. But the reason that Paul's putting this in here is because it's really easy for us to start acting like our culture, acting like our world, acting like the devil. And it's really easy for us to fall into that. And so he says, hey, we've got to stand firm through the power of God and in His strength. We want to be strong, and we want to be strong in God. Okay, so stand firm and put on the armor of God. Today, we're going to look at three of the pieces of armor, and then we'll take a couple more weeks to go over the rest of them. We're going to look at what these pieces are and then how uh, we can put them on a little bit. Uh, the first one is the belt of truth. Okay, look at it in verse 14. After he says stand firm, it says stand firm therefore. Okay, so we're standing. We're ready for battle. Okay, we're in that stance. You know, I don't know how many of you guys play sports, but I played uh, – basketball and I always had to do the defensive stance okay I'm not going to do it right now because it's awkward and weird but you know you had to get down get low and you had to be ready to play defense and if you weren't uh the you know if you had a good point guard or a good you know guard of any kind they drill right around you right and so you got to get in that defensive position and Paul here says hey get in your position get ready Okay, and here's what you do. Here's what you put on. The first thing is the belt of truth. Stand firm, therefore, having uh, girded your loins and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. First, he, or gird your loins with truth, sorry, and put on the breastplate of righteousness. So first he says, gird your loins with truth. Okay, the belt, back in the day, this is a picture, um, obviously a modern remake, but it's a picture of a belt that could have been used. The belt was used for a couple things. It was uh, used for protection, okay? It, it protected the groin area and things like that, and it was also held things together, it held your your tunic on or whatever, you could tuck your tunic in it if you wanted to run, you could do things like that, and so he uses the belt to represent truth, Paul does, uh, and truth is one of the most important things uh, that we need to put on, I think that's one of the reasons why he put it first, uh, we have to put on the belt of truth, and we're going to look at what that means, but the part, part of the reason it's so important, this is uh, what JB always says, I'm not going to get, I don't have like a real quote from him but he says the devil tries to get us to doubt god's word and doubt god's love and that's what he did with eve right he created god created adam and eve and he put him in the garden and the devil comes along and says hey did god really say that and is god really going to do that for you you know he tries to get eve to doubt god's love uh, and god's word and ultimately she does and that's how we are all sinners right because we doubted god's word and god's love and so god uh the devil, he's a liar. Okay, he's a big, big time liar, and that's part of the reason I think why it says the schemes um, in verse eleven, the schemes of the devil, because he's good at lying and he'll lie to us, and he uses the world around us to lie to us, and so we have to put on that belt of truth. We have to know the truth, and truth comes from studying the word. Okay, it also comes from reading the word, because God's word is truth. John seventeen seventeen, right? Thy word is truth. And Jesus is the truth. He's the truth, the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. So Jesus is the truth, the Word is the truth, and we have to know it, we have to read it, we have to study it, so that we know the truth. And um, I was thinking a little bit about it, uh, about this this morning, just how, like, we sang a song, and we'll sing it again, but uh, saying He was faithful then, He'll be faithful now. And like, uh, sometimes we can get our truth even just from our past experiences with God. Like, God's the one that made Goliath fall, right? God's the one that made the walls of Jericho fall. Like, God, He did those things then, He can do them now, right? And like, in my own life, like, He's the one that led me to Stillwater. He's the one that made me move here. He's the one that 
all this stuff. And like if he's faithful then, he's going to be faithful now. And it's true. That's, that's a truth. That's a renewal of the mind on the truth um, of who God is. We know God is good. We've seen it in the past and we can renew our mind with it now. That's putting on the belt of truth. It's renewing our mind with truth. Okay, and it's really, really important because our world says there is no truth and they suppress it. That's what Romans 1 says, right? It says they suppress or they push down the truth. Okay, and why do they do that? Okay, why do they suppress the truth? Because the truth is that we're all sinners and we don't want to admit that and we all love our own sin. Right? We all love our own sin. Every single one of us loves our own sin. And so our natural tendency, our flesh, says, I want to suppress that, that truth and push that sin down and say that it's not sin. Because I don't want to admit that. And we do that in our own lives, even as believers, like we can do that, right? Like we start getting, uh, you know, we start getting a sin that we like doing, and we're like, well, it's not really that bad. Like it's not really a big deal. Like this sin isn't, you know, or it's not really a sin. Like if it was really a sin, I'd be going this far, and I'm only going this far. So it's not really a sin. So we can do that in our own lives. So unbelievers and the world and the devil, they're really suppressing it, right? I, there is no truth. There is no God. Because if there is no truth and there is no God, I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. Okay? And so that's what they do. They push it down. And so that's why truth is so important. Okay? It's offensive sometimes, but it's important. Okay? Um, if we compromise on any of the truth of God's Word, soon we're going to be compromising on all of it. Okay? So if I say, well, this part of God's Word is not true, then... Pretty soon I'll be saying, well, that's not true either, and that's not true either. And I think that's where a lot of Christians get in a lot of trouble. This is a quote from Ken Ham. He says, the compromise of Genesis... You guys all know who Ken Ham is? Yeah, he's this guy right here. No, this is actually uh, John Smith. No, this is Ken Ham. Uh, yeah, Ken Ham is a, he's a creationist <coughs> scientist. So he's a big-time scientist um, who believes in creation. And what he finds backs it up. And so, anyway, he says, the compromise of Genesis ultimately undermines the gospel itself. And what he's saying by that is if you are following the world and the world's culture and the world's idea of evolution, we're talking like big scale, like, I can't remember if it's macro or micro, whatever. But you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, if you follow that and say there is no God or God used evolution, or you're trying to like mix the two and you're saying, hey, God didn't really create the world then you're going to compromise on the rest of the Bible too. And I think a lot of Christians get in a lot of trouble with this because they're willing to compromise on some truths in the Bible or some truths about God. And when you do that, okay, you start compromising on all the rest of them, especially the ones you want to compromise on. Like if I compromise on this, I'm like, hey, yeah, God didn't really create the world. That Genesis stuff is kind of like, you know, that's kind of old school. It's not really a big deal. Then pretty soon I might be like, well, you know, don't steal. What does that really mean? I mean, what does that really mean? Does that? I mean, that's talking like, you know, larceny. Like that's talking big stuff. Like it's not. When it says honor your father and mother, oh. when it says homosexuality is wrong, that that doesn't that word doesn't really mean that. It means something else. You know, if you really if you really dig into it, they didn't have that back then. We're right, kind of progressing, and you know what I mean. Like this, I've seen Christians do this, right? And it's and it's wrong because they're not putting on the belt of truth. That's what it boils down to. They're not putting on the belt of truth. Truth is vital. Truth is vital. And I'll tell you this. Truth brings peace and joy. Truth brings peace and joy. It does to our lives. And we can get so anxious and depressed and, or angry or prideful and all this stuff and it brings all this 
bad stuff with it. But truth brings peace and joy. Um, I've been reading, we're going to do Jonah for, um, for camp. And so I've been reading through it. I've just been reading through Jonah. And it's, cra- it's an Old Testament book, and it's crazy how much of God's compassion and patience it shows. I was, I was looking at it, and I'm not going to, I won't give anything away, but like the sailors, God shows compassion and patience with them, and they come to know Him. They believe in Jesus or in the coming Messiah at that point or whatever. Okay, and so that's really cool. He shows compassion and mercy on Jonah and patience with him, right? Jonah 3.1 says, And the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. He's allowing Jonah work. He didn't have to use Jonah, but he did. He shows compassion and mercy to the Ninevites, right? Because all of Nineveh is a, is a really wicked city. And at the very end, in chapter 4, Jonah's having a hard time showing compassion for these people. And God says, hey, how, how are you not showing compassion for these people? These are people. And I want to show them compassion. And I want to be patient with them. And so, God, His patience and His kindness, His love, His, all this stuff, His goodness, man, it just brings peace and joy in my life. When I actually believe it. When I renew my mind with that truth. Now when I start thinking, oh man, God, I don't know if He's really that, that good of a God. Like if He was that good, He wouldn't let this happen, would He? You know, then, I, then that's when anxiety and fear and all this stuff starts popping up in my own life. So truth is very important. And truth, working along with faith, makes for a strong and mature Christian. Okay, truth, working along with faith. We'll talk about the shield of faith next week. Truth, working along with faith, it it's makes for a strong and mature Christian. Because if you know the truth, and you have faith in the truth, in God, who He is, you're going to be a strong Christian. Okay, so how do we do this? Okay, how? How do we put on the belt of truth? Okay, study the truth. And renew your mind with the truth. Study the truth and renew your mind with the truth. This is how you do it. okay? Because like I said, we always talk about, hey, let's put on the armor. Well, how do you put it on? How do you put on the armor? I think it is studying the truth and renewing your mind with it. Okay, Studying it, that's digging into God's Word and looking at it and seeing it. Um, renewing it can be reading the Word. It can be praying. It can be thinking about the truths of who God is. It can be any of those things and more. Okay, but it's just renewing your mind with what truth is, the Word of God, what He's done, who He is. Um, a lot of the Bible, man, it just shows who God is. And so you start reading it, you start studying it. Like uh, whenever we went through Habakkuk a couple years ago, I mean, it was one of my favorite books. Like who knew? Habakkuk. Why? Because I saw who God was in it. I saw who God was in it. And sometimes we're like, why are these books even in Why is Jonah even in the Bible? Like, why is Jonah even in the Bible? Man, you can see so much about who God is in, in Jonah. And so I read that, and it's like, man, the truth of God's Word is in my mind. And I don't know about you guys, but I have to do this all the time. Because it's so easy. It's so easy for me to stop dwelling on the truth. And when that happens, it's like the lie is just there in my mind already. And it's the schemes of the devil. Okay, It's the schemes of the devil. And it's the world and the culture. So... First, we need to stand firm by putting on truth. Putting on the belt of truth. Next thing is the breastplate of righteousness. This continues on in verse 4. Sorry, 14. I don't know why I said 4. Because uh, there's a 4 in it, I guess. It says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so the next thing is righteousness. 
That's the next thing that we need to put on. Um, the breastplate is something that covered the vital organs. Okay, therefore, it's very important for every soldier. And if you think about it, in today's army, what is one of the only pieces of armor that has continued on through the years? Chest plate, right? Why? Because the heart, the lungs, like these vital organs have to be protected. Okay, and so that breastplate or that chest plate is something that has continued on because it's very important. And the breastplate of righteousness is very important as well. Okay, and so remember, uh, Paul's already told the believers of their positional righteousness. Okay, because there's two kinds of righteousness. There's positional righteousness, and there's, you could call it like practical righteousness. Okay, positional righteousness, remember in chapter 1 and, uh, and 2, I think. But anyway, he tells the believers that they are children of God, right? He tells them uh, that they're heirs. So he's already told them that, you know, once you believe in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? Okay, you believe in Jesus for eternal life, you get it, and positionally you are righteous. Okay, I don't think he's talking about that righteousness here. He could be. I think he's talking about practical righteousness now because it fits with chapters 4 through 7. That's what he's been saying in chapters 4 through 7 the whole time. Walk worthy. Um, be an imitator of God. Live this way in the church. Like he, He's in this practical thing, and he says, hey, put on this breastplate of righteousness, and we don't have to put on the righteousness from God. Like We're clothed in Christ's righteousness positionally, so we don't have to put that on. But if we want to live righteously, we do have to put that on. Okay, we do have to put that on if we want to live right. Like, I have to get up and make a decision to walk in the Spirit. I have to make a decision to do what's right. Does that make sense? And I do have to put that on. And I think this breastplate of righteousness protects us um, in three areas of our life. Uh, probably more than that, but I, I, I thought of three areas in our life that this protects us from. First is discipline. Okay, God uh, disciplines those He loves. And uh, God, you know, God trains His kids, so He can bring trials in our life, even that's not like discipline. Uh, so he, he's still going to train us, but man, I didn't even look this up. I just thought of it just now. But maybe Brandon will know. Who said? Uh, was it Peter? I can't remember if it's Peter or Paul. But he said, "Don't suffer uh, for basically don't suffer for doing sin." It's Peter. Okay, so don't suffer. Don't suffer for doing sin. Right? Don't don't suffer because you're doing sin. And, and God can discipline His children. Okay, that doesn't mean we're never going to suffer if we live righteously. Okay, it doesn't. But we can avoid discipline of God, which I'd rather suffer uh, like a trial or something because God wants to grow me than suffering a trial because I did something wrong. You know what I mean? And so righteous living can protect us from that discipline of God. Um, yeah, it can. So uh, that's one thing it protects from. Another thing is our testimony. Okay, and you know, I'm talking about our testimony before man. So... Testimony is when like somebody looks at our life and they can see Jesus in our life, right? And so if we live righteously, it protects that, that testimony. And hopefully and ultimately the goal of that would be that we can better and more adequately share the gospel or uh, share truth from God's word. Okay, Because people can look at our life and say, hey, God is working in his or her life. You know, so it protects our testimony. And it protects us uh, in the area of rewards, right? We all know that we're going to stand before Jesus at the rewarding seat, the beam and seat judgment. We're all going to stand before Christ. And it protects us against that. Or not against that. That's not the right way to say that. But uh, if we do what's right and we're living righteous, we're going to have more rewards in heaven, right? And so we should do that. This protects us in that way. Um, protecting us against that is not really the right word, but it protects us in that way. So living righteously, um, you know, we're putting on the breastplate of righteousness. 
It's something that progressive Christianity and even modern Christianity is kind of throwing out the window, you know? Um, and I think the generation before me, or maybe like a generation and a half before me, um, they were very legalistic, right? They said you have to live this way, right? And so our generation, my generation, your generation, um, I don't know about Brent and Lori. They're kind of, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but our generation, everybody in here, our generation, um, Brent and Lori included, because it's about people that are about 50, and they're a lot younger than that. So, uh, Not a lot. A, a lot. A lot. Um, but anyway, that generation from about 50 years old and under, what, and that's why our culture is turning this way, but they, the Christians in that, that culture have been like, legalism is completely wrong. Get it out of here. We're completely free to do whatever we want. Let's go drink and smoke and, do, and go to places we shouldn't, you know, whatever, because we're going to do it all. Because we're free. And that's what the culture, the Christian culture I'm talking about, is kind of, that's where they're going. And so they say, hey, let's, let's live however we want because we don't want to be legalistic. And me and Tyler were talking about this a long time ago. It's like the pendulum swings. It's like legalistic. You better do all this or you're not even saved. Wrong. And then, boom, you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Wrong. Okay, we got to be balanced. Okay, and even Paul says this. I think I have the verse up here. Yeah, Galatians <laughs> 5.13, it says, For you are called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity. Okay, this is interesting. He doesn't say, don't turn your freedom into sin. He says, an opportunity for the flesh. Don't even turn it into an opportunity, but through love serve one another. You're free, yeah, but don't let that freedom even uh, take you to a place where you can sin, an opportunity to sin. Because we want to be holy like God. We want to be holy like Christ. And so the breastplate of righteousness is something that I think has been thrown out the window by modern Christians, but I think it's very important. I think we should live righteously. Okay, and yes, we don't have to live righteously to be saved. Yes, we shouldn't live righteously to impress other people, or we shouldn't live righteously because it makes us righteous, because positionally we're already righteous. Okay, but with all that in mind, we should live righteously. Like, you guys should live in the right way. Okay, and that's what Paul, for the last two chapters, two and a half chapters, has been saying. And so he says, put on this breastplate of righteousness. Okay, so how do we do that? That one's pretty easy, right? Know what to do. Know what is right and do it. Okay, you got to know what is right. How do, you, how do you figure out what's right? The Bible, right? You know what's right by looking at the Word of God, by studying it, by reading it. Another way is by asking godly uh, men and women in your life. Asking your parents, maybe, or your grandparents, your uncles, your aunts, or whatever. Asking those people, hey, I have this decision to make. Is there one that's godly and one that's not? Because sometimes it's harder to see, right? And so we got to know what's right, and then you got to do it. Walk in the Holy Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. You won't gratify desires of the flesh. Galatians 5.16. we got to do that. And I know it's hard. Um, I know it's hard. But put on the belt of truth first. Okay? Then go out and live righteously. Walk in the Spirit. Okay, the next one. The gospel of... Or sorry, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Okay? And having shod your feet... This is verse 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of of the gospel of uh, peace. Now, when I think of shoes, I think of a lot of things. Okay, these are Roman, like, sandals or whatever they're supposed to look like. It. But this is what I think of when I think of <laughs> shoes that need you need special shoes for because I always played sports. I did play soccer and baseball, and both of those I needed cleats. I played basketball, and I didn't need cleats, but 
you need grippy shoes, okay? And Keanu knows what I'm talking about, but basketball floors get really dusty, and it's so annoying because you slip all over the place. And so we would get like this wet towel, and we'd like, do you do that too? Yeah. yeah. You get a wet towel, and you lay it out right where you like go in bounds, uh, like if you're getting subbed in or whatever, and we'd run over there, and we'd like wipe our shoes down because they'd be more sticky, and you can get a better grip on the, on the floor. But anyway, this shoe, this, this in, shoe in particular, okay, this is, it's claimed to be the rarest cleat. I'm going to say it's one of the rarest cleats. Okay, it's called the Nike Mersalis Vapor 9. Uh, it's, it was a cleat that's a limited issue uh, edition uh, called the Ballin Door Edition. It's a soccer cleat, so I have all this weird stuff. But anyway, it was to celebrate uh, Ronaldo's second award, some award that he won. Uh, and the, the, the shoes actually have a, a lining or a layer of gold in them. Okay? So this cleat costs... Eight grand if you want one. Eight grand. So if any Wait, of you like want this cleat, save up eight grand. Well, if I think it's a, well, I think it's a pair. Maybe it was one. I hope it's a pair. I hope it's a pair. Um, man, if that was one, that'd be what sixteen thousand for a pair. Okay. Anyway, this is really really expensive cleat. Okay. But when Paul here he's talking about the gospel piece, uh, gospel piece, the shoes. Okay. Um, Several things I think of. The Romans, okay, they needed special shoes for several reasons. And I'm talking about a Roman soldier, okay, not just a Roman citizen. Okay, first off, they, they did wear cleats. Okay, they were more like uh, they're more like turf cleats. Have you guys ever seen turf cleats? They're more like turf cleats, um, but they had like little cleat type things on the bottom of their shoes so they could grip and so they could move forward and so they could stand in one spot and not move when you're in battle. Because think about battle, you're, you're clashing swords, right? Clashing shields. So what happens if you slip? You fall or you move backwards, and they don't want to do that. They want to be able to stand firm, which is what Paul just said. Stand firm. Be strong in the Lord, stand firm. He said stand firm three times. And so we're supposed to stand, and the shoes are what help them stand. Okay, and so when we're talking about this, okay, the shoes are uh, the preparation of the gospel. And so there's several things that I thought of uh, when we're looking at the preparation of gospel. Okay, and, um, oh, and they're also used, by the way, for protection of the bottom of the foot. Okay, and uh, I forgot to mention that, but, like, think about shoes today, even. Our feet are not as hardened as theirs were, but even hardened feet, if you get an injury on the bottom of your foot, okay, can you do battle anymore? Can you do anything? You can't even walk, right? And so it's very important to protect the bottom of the foot. Okay, so... It's a couple of things I thought of with this, with the gospel piece and everything. Okay, first off is the lack of assurance is something that will cause us to slip. Okay, the lack of assurance is something that will cause us to slip. Okay, God, and by the way, the lack of assurance comes from not putting on the belt of truth. Okay, so these, the, I, think, I think the shoes go with all of it. I mean, they all go together. But I think the shoes kind of go with all of it. But um, if we're not assured in the gospel, if we don't know the gospel, and you're like, hey, I don't know if I'm saved or not, that'll cause you to slip. And the devil, I've heard this saying a long time ago, the devil always wants to keep people that are not saved from getting saved, and he wants people that are saved to think they're not saved, so they'll be ineffective. Right? Because when we're not assured of our faith, assurance is like knowing. Knowing is true, right, basically. So we know that we're saved. We know that we're God's child. If we're not assured in that, then... We tend to slip. We tend to not have the brushplate of righteousness on. We tend to not put the rest of the belt of truth on. 
we tend to not do those things because we're not even sure if we're saved. We're not even sure if God's word is true. And see what I'm saying? It like spirals and goes downhill. And so it's really important the gospel, the shoes of the preparation of gospel of peace, just for assurance purposes only. I mean that that in and of itself is enough to put them on. Okay, uh, we're not going to move forward. We're not going to stand still. We're not going to do any of that if we're not assured of the gospel. Okay, uh, and we should know that we have peace with God through the gospel so that we have the peace of God. And you guys know the difference in the peace of God and peace with God, right? Peace with God is the relationship. Okay, when we believe in Jesus for eternal life, we have peace with God now, right? Because we've taken on Christ's righteousness, we can be with Him, that kind of peace. Peace of God is something that we, we can have or we, can't, we may not have, and it's something that we need to pray for and stuff. But um, if, we don't, if we don't know that we have peace with God, then we're definitely not going to have the peace of God. Okay, if that makes sense to you guys. And so we have to understand the gospel. Okay, you have to understand what the gospel is, how it works. You need to be able to go to the Bible and say, here's references, how I know I'm saved. Here's references where it says that God, God says that um, I'm saved. Who knows any of those? Who knows a verse that says I'm saved, uh, not on the basis of works, but it's just my belief in Christ. John 3.16, what are some other ones? Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Those, there's two right there that are perfect. Right? Any Anybody else want any other ones? Okay, so there's tons. There's tons. They're all throughout the Bible. Right? And so if we know the gospel and know that we are saved, it's going to help us fight. It's going to help us fight. Um, we also need to be prepared to share the gospel. Go and tell Okay, be ready to, as Peter says, give a defense for the hope that is within you. You got to be ready for that, and you got to be prepared in order to do that. A lot of us, um, you know, we all have different struggles when it comes to sharing the gospel. Okay, some people are really good at it. Some people, you know, struggle with it. When I, the reason that I struggle with sharing the gospel is because I struggle with talking to people I don't know. As much as it's it's weird because I don't care about getting up here and talking in front of people like this, but like having a one-on-one conversation with my neighbor is like the hardest thing in the whole world for me. Like I don't I don't like talking to my neighbor. Like they start talking to me and I say yeah yeah and like try and walk inside. Like it's bad. And so I struggle with being ready. But if I'm prepared, okay, with the gospel, knowing that which means I know the gospel, and I'm prepared to share that with someone then hopefully through the power of the Holy Spirit we can do that. And we've got to be ready to give, like I said, give a defense as well for the gospel of the hope, for the hope that's within us. Okay, assurance of faith brings peace, and peace helps us to stand. So how do we do this? How do we put on the shoes of peace? Peace? No, <clears throat> excuse me. Know how to articulate the gospel. Okay, so this comes from studying the Word, knowing the Word, but know how to articulate it. Okay, what is the gospel? I know you're all writing, so, but whenever you're done writing, what is the gospel? That we're sinners and we deserve hell, and God loved us so he sent his son to die for us by putting our faith in him. Yeah, and he rose again. Okay, right? So, yeah, the, yeah, we're all sinners through Adam, okay, but Christ died and rose again. Okay, that's the gospel. We've got to know the gospel, we've got to know the offer, all that. Like you said, anybody who believes in Jesus has eternal life. Okay, and then be ready to give it. 
Okay? And then also know that you're saved. Okay? Know the gospel well enough to know you're saved. And there's a lot of people out there, and our church is really good at this, so I tend to not worry about you guys in this regard as much. But like our church is really good at uh, being clear on the gospel. But if you're not clear and you don't understand it, um, you know, you'll you'll have a lack of assurance, most likely. And like I said, when you have a lack of assurance, you can't do any of this other stuff. You can't put on this armor, and so we need to we need to do that. So those are the three parts that we're going to talk about today. What's the impact? Okay, the impact is I don't know, it's you know it's really simple. Okay, in theory, hard to do, but it's to put on the armor. Okay, stand firm. We're to stand firm. That's the call. We're to walk worthy, imitate God. Okay, we're to do that by putting on the armor. Truth, righteousness, preparation of the gospel. Okay, so renew your mind with truth. Study what's truth. Read the Bible to know what's truth. Renew your mind with who God is. Know that truth. Renew your mind with it daily. Okay, know the right thing to do and do it. Okay, know the right thing to do and do it. That's putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Got to know what to do and then do it. Okay, and then know how to articulate the gospel, be ready to give it, and know that you're secure. Okay, if we do those three things, we've got the first three parts of the armor on. Okay, we got the first three parts of the armor on. Um, really, we could go through this in prayer every day. I don't do that, I should probably. But we could go through this and be like, you know, God, I know you're true. Here's some of the truths about you. I'm going to praise you for those things. Help me to walk in the Spirit today and live righteously. How do we be prepared to share the gospel? I know what it is. I know, you know what I mean? And you can go through this in prayer every day um, to help you be strong in the Lord and to stand firm against the devil and against the world. Thanks for joining us for True to the Bible podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this lesson. If you have any questions about this lesson or any of the other True to the Bible podcasts, don't hesitate to contact us at hunter.davis at stillwaterbible.org. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope that you join us for our next lesson.